This FT Strategies podcast is brought to you in association with the Google News Initiative, who work side by side with publishers and journalists to help strengthen their work in the digital age. It's often said that news media and publishing are under threat, whether it's drops in advertising revenue forcing business models to evolve quickly or shifts in the way consumers consume. Organizations are constantly having to pivot and do so at pace in order to survive. In this series, we look at the defining moments faced by leaders in news publishing and unpack the strategies adopted and capabilities built in order to continue delivering and sustaining journalism and news in the digital age. We'll explore how they're not just surviving, but in some cases, thriving. I'm Tara Lajimoke, and this is The Turning Point by FT Strategies. Hello and welcome to The Turning Point by FT Strategies. I'm Tara Lajimoke. This week, we welcome a publisher from Hamburg who has participated in our Subscription Academy program done in partnership with the Google News Initiative. I am delighted to welcome Philip Livet, Managing Editor, Strategy and Operations at Der Spiegel, and Valentin Espanier, Senior Manager, Testing and Growth at Der Spiegel, and also Ludovic Bleche, Head of Innovation at the Google News Initiative. Hello, thanks for us. Welcome, all of you. Very excited to hear from you today. First, to set the scene, Philip, can you give us a bit of background on Der Spiegel? What's the growth journey that you have been on over the last few years? And what role has subscriptions played? For Der Spiegel, I wouldn't say that print is dead. But it is obvious that our print circulation, too, is in slow but constant decline. Rising energy and newspaper costs tighten the situation for us. And therefore, we had to find a model that not only could make up for the shrinking revenues, but also help us to maintain high audience reach, because obviously, otherwise, the Spiegel could someday be irrelevant for our readers and also for our advertisers. So in recent years, the Spiegel has invested in the modernization of its digital infrastructure to be able to focus on its main priority, which is pay first. Pay first means the support of our digital subscription business. This means every innovation of change or our work or our workflow has to support the goal of attracting, convincing, and retaining new digital subscribers. And uh, in terms of our editorial strategy, uh, just two examples uh, about audience development, for example. There we set out to improve our database distribution mechanisms. We shifted uh, our social media game from broad broad posting to more targeted promotion of paid content, for example, and came up with a new strategy for our community management. We all do this because we want to reach new users, especially younger and female users. And to achieve that, we also established a unit which um, produces vertical stories of our content, for, especially for mobile devices. And we also invested in operations in other German-speaking countries like Austria. 
What would you say was perhaps the most pivotal action that you took first to help pave the way for all of the activities that you've described? A major improvement was the investment in our IT and data capabilities because the Spiegel wasn't very good uh, when it comes to these topics or to these uh, fields. So we focused for many years, we focused on our editorial business, but there has been room for improvement, so to say, in these areas. And then, of course, on the other hand, the sheer um, uh, self-consciousness to charge for our journalism because we didn't do so for many years and we were quite successful with this business model. But as I said before, at some point we had to shift and come up with new ideas. And I would say it took us some time because it has been a huge change for our whole company. But yeah, hopefully we will be even more successful in the future and we are doing very well right now, I would say. Mm-hmm. No, we'd love to unpick more of that. And often when we work with publishers like you, they tend to commit and prioritize a number of activities along the lines that you described, the people, the process and the technology, if you will, stream. So interesting to see how comprehensive your approach was as well. Mm-hmm. And as obviously as part of that journey was getting involved in the Subscriptions Academy program. So I'd perhaps maybe love to bring you in here, Valentin. Can you tell us about the Spiegel's journey in Subs Academy? What encouraged you to apply to the program? Yes, um, we actually applied two times. Like we tried <laughs> tried uh, uh, the year before, uh, 2022. So in 2021, uh, I p- applied a first time. We didn't make it. We made it to the top 16 uh, and and this year. So you can you can see we were really eager to get in. Very um, And uh, I think we were already very strong on the acquisition part. So we had uh, a couple thousand, like between like 15 and 20,000 new acquisitions or trialists every month. But uh, we were also losing a lot of them. The focus of the program was to learn more about um, engagement of the trialists and new subscribers and a better retention strategy. So um, that was the focus. Uh, We were hoping to to learn and uh, gain more insights on that from FD Strategies and also the other publishers in the cohort. Thank you. Again, lots to unpick there. But perhaps I can just move on to Ludo. Vic, for a second, to perhaps shed a bit more light on your team's mission at GNI, including supporting programs like Subs Academy. The Google News Initiative is actually not just one initiative, but the sum of program and different initiatives. It's a kind of our framework for collaboration uh, with the news industry. It's built upon, I would say, basically three pillars. One is all about program and training, right? So it's partnership with the industry through labs, 
as you've done with the subscription labs, but it's also some program which can be, for example, call for call for project around innovation. And what I'm leading uh, especially was call for project around innovation all over the world called the innovation challenges. Uh, we also have uh, some components that are more about research, providing insightful research, such as the one we do with the Reuters Institute to give back to the industry. And uh, there is also a kind of more product pillar with uh, product and tools that are at the disposal of journalists and publishers. So you use some of them like uh, NCI, News Consumer Insights, but we also have tools and training for journalists uh, done through the news lab. So that is in a nutshell. Uh, the only thing I would say is I encourage everyone to subscribe to the Google News Initiative newsletter so they get uh, posted about the opportunities for them and uh, if they want to apply to something, as you've done uh, twice, if I got it right, um, then uh, at least you don't miss any opportunity. Thank you, Ludovic. And I have to give credit to Valentina and Philip for applying twice. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the program. So we appreciate your persistence. The honor is solely to Valentin. It was <laughs> his idea. <laughs> Perhaps we can go back to some of your opening comments just to, to get a bit more detail on your journey from where you started off, which is remarkable, actually. You started off with subscriptions many years ago and reached the 20,000 subscriptions milestone relatively quickly. And then three and a half years later, you got to 150,000 um, that paid the, the sticker price, as they say. Could you just talk us through those two milestones and maybe delve a bit deeper into what you think are some of the critical factors that contributed to that growth? I only joined the Spiegel in uh, 2020, uh, so the journey actually started before before I came here. But I think there have been quite a few uh, versions to try to have paid content or have people pay for our journalism. We tried selling single articles, we tried a daily digital newspaper, and we didn't really get that much traction with these uh, uh, options uh, to to try to convert our journalism uh, digitally into to subscribers. So when we introduced uh, Spiegel Plus, our current uh, business model and current version um, of the subscription business model in 2018, that's when we really started to uh, gain traction with the whole digital subscription business and had a couple of, of shifts within the whole company that uh, we merged our two newsrooms, uh, the one from the uh, print journalism and uh, from online. Uh, we had a dedicated newsroom team focused on Spiegel Plus that asked for specific articles that uh, need, needed to be written for, for these subscribers and also a lot of focus on the economic part of the company focusing on uh, marketing this new initiative. So I really big turnaround for the company and since then like the output of articles has grown and the percentage of articles uh, got got bigger over the last couple of years and now the team that used to be like three people trying to engage the newsroom in writing content or selecting content for Spiegel Plus is now integrated in the newsroom as well 
And um, basically everyone on the commercial side is also really focused in all their efforts on the subscription business model. And uh, we also made this leap that now the subscriptions part is now the biggest income stream uh, for the company and uh, surpassed uh, media and, and advertising revenues. So now, especially over the last two years, it became quite clear that this is like our growth path and uh, everything else um, yeah, actually gets to second place in terms of our focus and, and priorities. I, I just would like to add that um, we had to do all of this without uh, cannibalizing our print business, which is uh, luckily still very healthy and is still a um, great uh, income source. And also, uh, speaking about the fusion of our two editorial departments, one critical moment was, or one, uh, it wasn't a real obstacle, but of course there was a fraction within the editorial department that was very um, worried if we shift from a business model which is solely based on advertising revenues to one that is based on paid content that we would lose lots of our readers and we would lose our reach and the relevancy of the Spiegel as a brand would uh, be harmed by doing so. And this didn't happen, but still uh, it took us some time to, yeah, to make that a step forward and to, to, uh, yeah, to dive into the blue, for example. And also the unbundling of our magazine was also a big big issue for us because uh, before we used to sell a whole magazine you bought the whole package and now you could choose okay i would like to read uh, this article and that article but uh, i don't like the articles from philip because i'm not interested in it whatsoever and of course there are some issues lying beneath but yeah we did quite well i would say i think you did incredibly well giving the outcomes that you've achieved subscriptions being your top revenue producer is fantastic. And you've actually highlighted a number of really important points there. I think, Valentin, your point around really aligning what can be often conflicting sometimes teams in terms of their goals or ways of working or even priorities. So having both newsrooms coming together to work on a single goal, the commercial team, etc., is a crucial part of what we see in the successful case studies. Can you align and galvanize the different teams across the organization around that that single goal? And can you help build a diverse set of relevant skills and knowledge to facilitate progress? I think the other thing as well, which is very interesting, is what you said, Philip, on protecting print and advertising revenue. And often, again, we see that as a huge challenge for many organizations that are considering embarking on that journey to reader revenue. How do you do that without cannibalizing or compromising traditional revenue lines, you know, even events and so on? And the holy grail is really having that diverse revenue portfolio where all the different revenue streams thrive and actually support one another. And perhaps that leads me on to my next question, actually, which is what were some of the challenges that you 
we're looking to address in Subs Academy. Sounds like you've done a lot of things right, but it would be interesting to understand what the goals or challenges that you needed to focus on were. I think we do have plenty of data where we can see what is happening on our website, but I think uh, even after shifting towards the subscription business model, um, you still had a lot of uh, different interests within the company. And it's very understandable that journalists want to be read, right? This is why they become journalists. They want to have reach. They want to uh, they want to be heard and their stories to, to, be, to be read by people. Um, so shifting that mindset towards um, your article is restricted and only only a few people can actually read what you've, what you've written and you've put a lot mm-hmm. of work in is quite understandable. So um, after making this shift from reach and media to subscriptions, uh, I think the next iteration or journey needs to be like about making our customers happy and focusing on their needs. And um, yeah, I think this is uh, really where we need to go. And one of the things that we are in the way of changing right now is like the the focus on uh, rather short-term acquisition goals towards more long-term goals. So we used to have like our main KPI uh, to measure our success was to win a thousand new customers every week. And we we did that by like having like more or less like 4,000 new trialists come to us and uh, trying to actually have like a thousand of those stay with us. And by that, like we managed our growth. But this is obviously good to engage the newsroom because um, they get an email every week saying like these were the articles that produced that many conversions. And by that, they actually got behind the whole idea of the subscription business because this is a new new goal they can focus on, like being one of the top 10 uh, articles that week, uh, getting getting new subscribers to us. But that shift towards having more metrics that focus on, okay, are these acquisitions that are actually going to stay? Like mm-hmm. you have like the quality reads that the FT uses, for example. This is something that we still need to make because we know that we used to have uh, quite a few articles in the past that made a lot of conversions, but they were not that long lasting. So mm-hmm. that's kind of where we stand with um, yeah, the trade-off between acquisition and getting into more a retention and churn reduction focus. Yeah, nothing to add here. Basically, Valentin has it all. We were already strong when it comes to acquisition, but uh, yeah, retaining our customers, our readers uh, wasn't our biggest talent, I would say. And it's all about engagement now. Mm. Thank you. Again, a lot more to, to discuss there. But Ludovic, if I can just come to you now, actually, given what you've heard on some of the challenges that they faced, what would you say are some of the additional challenges for the, the news magazine sector? Yeah, I, I, I try to step back a bit and take a more helicopter view here because I have the privilege with my role to see innovation everywhere. And I'm a former journalist as well. So uh, the change management you described regarding the newsroom, I think is absolutely uh, key and fundamental. And um, your approach is kind of music to my ear and I tell you why. I got the sense for years that news magazine are the one struggling especially with digital. So digital is a challenge for all, but it's especially complex for news magazine. Why? Because you used to be basically only a weekly. Uh, 
And so it's a change in workflow. It's a change in focus, mindset, relationship with the publishers. It's a change of cadence and timing, right? And my sense is that you kind of underlit with a strategy. Let's go for subscription, but also some kind of test and learn journey with experiment. And you went from, let's try a daily. Well, that doesn't work. Let's try just to give the magazine. That's not enough. Let's do a unbundle things, as you explained, so you can have the direct relationship. And for a news magazine, it's actually super hard to uh, find the digital recipe. And today we are in a world with digital where you cannot copy-paste. There is no silver bullet anymore. Everyone has to find his um, special ingredient in order to figure out uh, what could work and what doesn't work. But uh, for weeklies, it's extremely complicated. You have to reinvent absolutely everything. And probably what is the most uh, complicated here is the cultural change within the newsroom and how you reconciliate the kind of very long form in-depth journalism that you are doing with uh, the complexity of the reach. And then the subscription is a kind of a gift because subscription is based on the quality of your journalism. But having a weekly publication is not enough, right? So how do you position on a day-to-day the way to distribute the content in a way that is hooky, attractive, that will bring conversion, but that will not cannibalize in um, uh, the rest as well? And, uh, you know, the... um, in the economic world, we speak about a unique selling proposal. I would call here a unique editorial proposition, right? And you need to have a very clear view of what could be your unique editorial value proposition. So the business, you can break the silos within newsroom and uh, then the business can serve the purpose of journalism uh, in all the devices, all the, the time entities and management and then get the best of every world in order to serve each other rather than cannibalize. So uh, it sounds like uh, you're not the only one, but your approach is a bit unique, and congrats for that. So thanks. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Ludovic. Um, the Spiegel's unique editorial proposition, I would say there are at least two. I mean, uh, we are, we already had a very thriving, very well-known uh, website, which was already up and running, and we had a high output, and we have some of the best journalists in the world working for us. So these are very, two strong propositions. But yeah, um, we still face some of the challenges you were describing every day. For example, if we come up with a great story then the question sometimes is okay shall we hold it back and wait until the new issue is uh, coming out or shall we put it on the website immediately because it is news and we want to we want people to know and of course we want to be the first to report on something and yeah so you're absolutely right ludovic 
Agree. And I love that you seem to have coined a new term, Ludovic, for the industry, UEP, Unique Editorial Proposition. I'll be using that again. But you've also highlighted something which, again, I think Philip mentioned and Valentin spoke to around that culture of testing and learning. It's so crucial. And we do this with the hundreds of publishers that we work with who often come to us with a request for a silver bullet. And yes, we do have a proven playbook from our own journey at the FT and the clients that we've worked with. But ultimately, every single publisher is very unique when you think about their context and their mission and their people and so on. So it's so important that, yes, you have a set of informed hypotheses, but more importantly, that you quickly test and learn and pivot as necessary, which is a key part of the Subscriptions Academy methodology. So perhaps we can talk a bit about how you found the journey through that program, which for those of you who may not be familiar, starts off with a North Star goal. So you had a number of challenges which you outlined, retention, etc. Help me understand going into the program, what was the big goal and what were some of the most interesting insights that you gathered from the first phase, which is the, the diagnostic phase? We used to have a lot of data, and since the the first part of the program is the the data deep dive, mm. um, the actual data request was already very insightful for us because we were not able to actually provide all the data uh, that FT Strategies or the consultants wanted. So seeing that it's tough for us to actually break up these data silos and, and get all this information that should be uh, readily available and be part of our daily uh, routine to look at these uh, figures uh, was kind of the first insight right from the start. Mm. So uh, seeing like how many people are registering uh, through which action, where do subscriptions come from, what about voluntary, involuntary churn. Um, so the questions towards our data was already quite impactful and helped us to yeah, get a better view of uh, what do we want to know in the future about our business uh, to be able to act on that. Um, so that was the first part. And speaking to the uh, unique editorial proposition, uh, it was interesting as well that for us, like having a goal uh, up until now, that only reflects a certain number of subscribers, uh, obvious, obviously wasn't enough. We, we needed more, especially to get the buy-in from the newsroom. Um, so that's why the shift in like formulating our North Star that also reflects the actual purpose, like why do we want to have these mm. subscribers, was very helpful for us and I think was also a very big insight for the team that this needs to be core and center of our uh, North Star goal, that we not only like grow in terms of revenue or in terms of subscribers, but have something that is even on top of that. And to us, that would be our fin financial and journalistic independence. So that was kind of the, the core part of our um, North Star that we formulated within uh, the whole program. And can you tell me, how did you go about achieving your North Star goal? Or what is the plan for achieving that North Star goal, if you're still on that journey? Yes, we we used to have a North Star goal, even though we, we didn't call it that. Mm -hmm. uh, it was more like our pay-for-first strategy, where we wanted to 
uh, reach 200,000 uh, subscribers at the sticker price or full full price in 2022. Uh, actually, it used to be like more in the future, but we moved it back to 2022 because we were uh, quite on track with that. And obviously, we had strong peaks uh, in the beginning of the pandemic and uh, with the start of the invasion of Ukraine. Um, mm -hmm. So we almost made it in 2022 and i think we made it like in the the early beginning of 2023 to actually uh get there and in terms of revenue we were even like um in front of that thank you very much <laughs> and um yeah the the new goal is this time not based on the subscribers even though we also kind of know the number of subscribers we want to reach but rather uh translated into revenue and uh, i can just read our our current uh, north star that we have that we want to reach 75 million annual revenues by 2025 with 400,000 daily active digital subscribers enabling us to sustain our journalistic and financial independence that's our north star that we um, yeah agreed on with the team and also uh, our management and the editorial staff uh, so that's where we want to be in uh, three years from now. I love it. We always say a good North Star goal should be smart, so specific, measurable, etc. But also, I think, quite bold and aspirational. And that certainly feels like it ticks, ticks the box. Yeah, that will be doubling our, our income actually from digital subscriptions in, in these three years. So, yeah, I oh, think wow. that's quite ambitious. Indeed. Ludovic, what do you think others can learn from Der Spiegel's journey and North Star goal? Uh, look, I'd say that I look at these kind of things in basically two dimensions. Uh, one is trajectory and the other one is velocity. When I consider trajectory, I heard what you said, uh, Valentin and Philippe, about trying things and pivoting, which is useful. And it was especially useful at the beginning when you were trying to identify what would be the right thing for you. But I would say after having deep thinking and some experiment, when you have the feeling that you have a direction that is aligned with not only your goals, but also your core values and what you want to share with your readers, just keep the direction. And you, you, you have to keep the track, even if it's sometimes uncomfortable. So you pivot a bit, you make a decision. When you make a decision, all the thought because you cannot change strategy in every two years, right? So that's for the trajectory. Then for the velocity, everyone should uh, align on the fact that it takes time. And this is where you can experiment. So you keep the direction, but you made tons of iteration from very tiny A-B testing about um, what message will perform the most, how do you uh, increase the conversions through messages, through uh, different kind of reach, through uh, different uh, ways to uh, engage the readership, trial offer and everything from a kind of marketing and distribution standpoint, but also make some uh, changes in your journalism, the way you, uh, you change the the distribution or your content, uh, try new formats and everything. And this is where you can do some very quick test and learn things in order to refine the approach, right? And 
try to convince also the leadership to give you brief time because um, this kind of shift is not made in two days. But when you start having the recipes, then the pace is going to really accelerate. And reaching this point is uh, about keeping the direction, being uh, agile in the execution. And a big part of that links to governance, I think. I think there's a huge role there around managing the process, the focus, keeping the pace, giving the space to test, learn, fail if needed, but also driving towards outcomes. So that accountability piece as well. Philip and Valentin, could you share a bit more around what role, if any, sound governance played in your execution or achievement even of your North Star goal? Yeah, that's a bit of a tough one, but I would say um, the good thing when uh, I had the first sessions with the with the program, first it seemed to me that, wow, there's so much we have to work on and there's so much stuff we aren't doing, but then the more and more we went ahead with the program, then it turned out that, well, it isn't completely new to us. There are many issues we've already been working on. It's just that we are lack- lacking behind at, uh, at some point. And so, yeah, that was a good thing. Um, I mean, because it meant we were on the right path already, but to hear it from a different perspective and from someone who has already a proven track record also emphasized our efforts and helped us to find so to say supporters within our company and support from the sea level i would say valentin what do you think i think like the methods uh, we learned were quite helpful uh, not only in terms of government but yeah i think there's still a lot for us to to improve from but when it comes to for example uh, the outcome focus versus output focus uh, is something that we realized within the company but also got emphasized uh, within this project and uh, also ways to prioritize one product development over the other and i think that in the past we, we tried to do almost everything at once and and that way it took a lot of time to actually get finished with uh, certain features products after that, we did not really check uh, if users actually wanted that. It was more like, okay, we, we finished uh, next task. And I think this is something that is changing, was changing over the last year uh, within the company. And I think the program also helped us um, to emphasize on that. And then again, another tool that we learned about from you guys, the 12-month action plan and the focus on this agile methodology, like you mentioned, Ludovic, to focus on early experimentation, uh, be it through like interviews, uh, questionnaires, uh, A-B testing and so forth, uh, was really quite helpful to, to focus uh, on certain projects and, and uh, have a project plan, like when are we going to do that, work on that, find out if our, our hypothesis is actually valid and then gain more speed in, in all our developments. Let's actually zoom into two of those experiments. How did you go about choosing and working on them? And what were some of the most interesting findings um, that you came across? And I think you you had a number of experiments, including a paywall experiments and an annual paywall experiment. So perhaps maybe you could choose one of those to focus on. 
Yes, uh, like I said, a lot of experiments focused on, on acquisition. Unfortunately, we did two more within the program focusing on acquisition, um, but it was just the ease of implementation since we were already working quite a bit on the paywall and value propositions on the paywall design. So uh, in terms of having easy access to experimentation methods, A-B testing, uh, we decided to have two more experiments based on acquisition, but uh, in this case also focusing on like more long-term goals like lifetime value of our readers uh, when we selected the, the annual offer for, for one of our tests. So the first test was more about like user experience and value proposition with the paywall, where we try to reduce distraction on the paywall, remove everything that could possibly distract from the actual value we wanted people to perceive on the paywall and giving easy access to the checkout process and actually getting a trial. So there we found a new design uh, for our paywall that made it easy for our users to shift between two offers, one a little bit more long-term, um, a three-month for 30 euros option and a trial month. And we found a design that actually led to a uplift of uh, almost 14% in conversions, uh, where apparently it seemed to be easier to understand what we were actually offering uh, and people had a much greater paywall conversion rate and that led to then also more conversions in the end. And the second experiment, which within the program actually failed to produce an uplift, but was quite helpful in terms of learning something about our users, was the annual offer where we first decided on a specific uh, discount that we wanted to give our readers for the annual subscription, uh, where we decided like the, the product would be a um, buy 10 and get 12 month annual offer. So basically a two month discount or 70% annual discount. And we tested that with two um, different billing options. One was the an annual billing option and the other one was a monthly billing option and tested those two against our regular offer with the trial month and the three for 30. And um, we found out that this annual offer actually does not beat our regular offer with these more short-term uh, offers uh, because we have so much higher conversions, so many more trialists trying out the, the more short-term options where then still a lot of them are actually going to stay. And with the, the annual offer or with this specific annual offer, uh, we only had very few people that picked that up. So after the program, we actually continued iterating on this test and found a sweet spot that uh, if we have like certain higher discounts than the, the ones that we used in this test, we can actually like turn that around and have more people commit to the annual subscription. And uh, this is something that we'll be, we'll be keep testing on. And, and within that test, like the, the actual baseline had a much greater conversion and had like four times more revenue than the annual subscription. But we were able to then with the iteration turn that around into... Uh, an annual subscription that actually increases our revenue uh, two times with an option that we will we'll be uh, testing in the future for sure. 
That's really helpful. And I love that you shared those experiments, including the second one, where you didn't get a positive result, but then actually use that to continue to test to try and find that sweet spot, as you describe. And I often say that the purpose of a, a test in this context isn't to pass or fail. It's to inform. It's to inform how you think about things. It's to use that to then iterate and test more things and more hypotheses. So you've clearly demonstrated that beautifully. Ludovic, what do you think of these experiments? What's your take? Main take is basically what you said, right? Experiment, iterate, learn, and then focus on the right bets, right? It's fine to, out of 10 experiments, to not be successful in nine if one can at least bring value. But um, I would say keep the agility to uh, be able to identify quickly what works and what doesn't so uh, you don't waste too much energy. And uh, one of the complexity at every level when you manage the change is the prioritization of things because everything sounds super important. Everything sounds the high priority, but at the end of the day, you have to make choices, right? And it sounds like your approach allowed you because you always kept in mind this not start and what the, what is the purpose of the experiment to kill some approaches in order to double down the effort on what is working pretty quickly. Yeah, I always say that sometimes a failed quote-unquote experiment can often tell you even more than a successful one. So I love, I love what you both said, particularly around agility and continuing to use that, those insights to help you prioritize in this world where we have even more limited resources. Um, final question, and perhaps I'll start with you, Philip. If Der Spiegel could have done anything differently in its recent history, what would it be? We would have adopted a pay strategy earlier. And why do you think you didn't adopt it earlier? I think because we were scared that people would... Uh, turn away, audience would turn away and go somewhere else where they could get good journalism for free because of there's been lots of uh, free competition around and yeah. I think it's always hard to disrupt yourself, right? If you have a working business model that is working very well for you, even though you know that in the future this is going to decline, to make a choice at some point like saying, okay, we now need to work on the things that will like in a couple of years, uh, be the driving growth factors, I think is always very, very tough for, for almost every company uh, to to basically like think about, okay, like if we would do it all over again right now uh, with the current situation, what would we do? And I think like having an even stronger bond between like editorial research or the new operations and strategy team within their Spiegel, um, which we used to have within this program, which was very helpful because you realize that a lot of information doesn't really translate from from the commercial side to the editorial side like realizing there are a lot of developments probably also getting more input from the editorial team like what do you need what kind of products do you see are helpful for our readers i think is something that i would love to to work on even more in the future and then of course but i'm a little biased uh, to focus more on experimentation since this is kind of my my field of work and hopefully over the next 
couple of months or years uh, to have even more product development also be part of the process uh, process of experimentation since like we need to shift a little bit more from the acquisition towards like testing everything knowing early if our customers want certain developments on in our app on our website and so forth i think um yeah it's going to be something that that we need to focus on and probably could have started earlier but at least now we're really on track with that just one word, uh, if you don't mind, to echo what you said, Valentin, which is about self-disruption. Uh, nothing is more complicated than disrupting yourself, especially when you are a successful legacy business. I feel that the only way to do it without this being too much of a painful process is to focus on the users and for you, the readers. And if you think from a reader standpoint, but keep your values, this is where you can make uh, the the right uh, the right move, I guess, and keep your business for what it stands for, which is your mission, and just figure out new ways to engage with the same values. Yes, I think like, the Spiegel is now seventy five years old, and I hope uh, we can we can keep up our business for at least another seventy five years. And uh, if we want to actually manage that, I think there will be a couple more. Uh, pivotal moments where we need to to change where we had it, and uh, yeah, I think reader focus is very very helpful in that to learn from them, know what they need. Uh, also, new generations that are coming up now. Uh, what kind of news media or whatever company we need to be to give them the journalistic experience that that generations in the past actually had um, is going to be quite interesting. Mm. Actually, I lied to you. This is the final question. Very briefly, <laughs> one piece of strategic advice you have for your peers, perhaps something you wish you knew before your turning point at Der Spiegel or Ludovic, something that you would offer to the entire industry. Valentin, maybe start with you. I think like having this kind of uh, conversation not only within your own company but with other companies as well um mm. we, we we learned about a lot of companies in our space but also like outside of the the publishing world uh what they are doing in terms of strategy and uh it was very very helpful to know that like everyone is struggling with the kind of same things and talking about it learning from from one another like through a program like the subscriptions academy or just by calling up people in the industry and asking them how they are doing things uh is really quite helpful and i think we will be uh doing more of that to, to talk to to other german publishers and also uh, international publishers in terms of learning from them because in the end you're not really giving away your own secrets since everyone has to find out for themselves what is working for their audience but it's very very helpful information and in the end like this whole industry will not be destroyed from within but rather from from outside players that actually come into the market so talking about what is working to keep this industry going i think is, is uh, just benefiting everyone philip ludovic anything to add yeah, I think it's really spot on. Uh, all about collaboration. And I would say uh, open source your knowledge because everyone will benefit the ecosystem, but you as well, right? Mm -hmm. Open sourcing is not uh, just giving, it's also getting back. 
Indeed. We often say a rising tide lifts all boats. <laughs> so the more you collaborate to grow the pie as opposed to compete for a shrinking piece of the pie, I think the better off we'll all be. Thank you very, very much, Valentine, Philip and Ludovic. Really appreciate you joining us on this week's episode of The Turning Point. We'll be back next week with another edition exploring the critical moments news publishers have faced and the new direction they have forged. Don't forget to subscribe to ensure you don't miss out on each new episode. You can find the links on Spotify, iTunes, or of course, via the FT Strategies website. And for more strategies and tactics that publishers and wider media are adopting to not just survive, but thrive, subscribe to the FT Strategies newsletter. Our executive producer was Hani Chikes. My name is Tara Lajumoke. That was The Turning Point. This FT Strategies podcast was brought to you in association with the Google News Initiative, who work side by side with publishers and journalists to help strengthen their work in the digital age. <laughs>